Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. All right, welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer joining you. It is 105 in Edmonton, 205 in downtown Chicago. And this is Oilers Now, brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. You can reach us on a River Cree Resort and Casino hotline at 780-496-0063, the River Cree Resort and Casino excitement bet on it. You can also text us on our Ashley Fine Floors text line, same number, 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you in this hour. A one-on-one conversation with our headliner today, Evander Kane. Colby Cohen works on the Blackhawks television broadcast. He'll provide us with a Chicago perspective at about 115. And at 135... Courtesy of Legacy Heating and Cooling, John Shannon. Oilers game day trivia for Ming Shine. The question again was, name the last man to lead nice prior to a 16-year run for Duncan Keith, where he led the Hawks in time on ice. The correct answer was Nathan Dempsey, who coaches kids in this market right now. Brennan Escott, back in the 630 Chad Studios, who was the first person to text in the correct answer? Jonesy out in Spruce Grove got this one today. Well done, Jonesy in Spruce Grove. All right, uh, Japanese Village is Edmonton's favorite Japanese steakhouse. You can reserve your party today at jvedmonton.ca. Multiple locations in Edmonton to serve you. Let's get to it. Our one-on-one conversation with Evander Kane. He's our Oilers Now headliner for Wilhock Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. No, it's not just the best you've ever tasted. It is the best you've ever tasted. Multiple locations in Edmonton to serve you. That's Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, today. That's right, Wilhock, as we head off to our conversation with Edmonton Oilers forward, Evander Kane. All right, Evander. It's it's just radio, so it's it's easy going. It's, it's but uh, uh, maybe just a thought on uh, the start to the season, and, and maybe the team over the course of the last three or four games, uh, elevating the game against some, uh, frankly, against some better teams. Carolina, a couple games against St. Louis and Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think I think our start to the season. Obviously, um, I think last night we played a good sixty minute game. We've we've haven't uh, probably had that prior to, but um, you know we're four and three, and I think we've probably played better than our record indicates. You know, we've had some really good competition, but uh, I think getting on the road last night was a great opportunity for our group to, to to get comfortable and get in a bit of a rhythm. And, um, you know, we just want to carry that into tonight. What did it mean uh, to see the, the type of performance that Stewart gave you in between the pipes last night, knowing that you don't have one guy that can go win a game for you? It looks like you have two. For sure. I think uh, the group was really confident um, with him coming into the season, but seeing how he's played over the, the time he spent the net, uh, you know, me personally, that confidence has grown uh, extraordinarily. So um, we feel really, really good about our goaltending tandem. Okay. Uh, the 
the so-called third line and the emergence of Ryan McLeod and was really noticeable during the playoffs, but his ability to transport the tuck and maybe how that's kind of changed the dynamic. It allows the team to play Nugent Hopkins in the top six, and that third line's giving you some momentum change and shifts. Yeah, they've uh, they seem to have some good chemistry um, and are working well with each other. Uh, Clouder obviously is a really good skater and is able to carry the play for that line. Um, you know, and Warren does a lot of good work uh, down low. You know, creating space for uh, for him and his line mates. So um, they've done uh, some good stuff. I think you'll start to see them produce offensively a little bit more as we move along here. But uh, you know, it just makes us a deeper team. Canadians tend to be really unselfish. In fact, in hockey, they're too unselfish. They don't shoot enough. How important is it to have a shooter's mentality? Yeah, I think... you know, sometimes when you're playing with certain players too, uh, you know, you just think you just want to move it around forever. But we got to get the puck to the net eventually. Um, I think we have some guys that are that are guilty of that uh, at times. But you know, you see when we do put the pucks towards the net, it, it breaks down the other team's D zone coverage. It creates confusion, and uh, it actually allows you to make even more plays. So um, getting the puck to the net is definitely important. I, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting situation with what happened against the uh, the Penguins the other night. You know, you're down two and a half. I I don't. You don't have to give us give away the Cadbury secret but you know were some of the seven words that George Carlin used to say he couldn't say on TV maybe deployed during the first intermission in terms of motivational to or, or is that something that happens internally or a combination of both I, I think it's more a combination of both I, you know you can say whatever you want to say um, however you want to say it but at the end of the day you have to go there and do it so uh, I think we had a little bit of both uh, heading into that second period it was really great to see us go out there and, and execute um, and dominate yeah we you know we, we did a lot of good things we, we I think we, we played that three-quarter ice game you know we didn't let them get in our zone and uh, we quicked up everything in the second period you have the, that short that long line change for the other team so um, you know we did a great job with our changes and like I said we're able to capitalize tonight's the second of a back-to-back and it's a Against a Chicago team that, you know, I don't think you, like you haven't been here for all of it, but over the lot, like they're not the same Hawks they once were. But that said, they do have a couple, you know, guys that have been world class players a long time, and they know how to, you know, win games and elevate against Edmonton. What do you guys do to ensure that, you know, you, you, you and I know you got to focus on your own game, but you just don't look past the Hawks or look at the city. They're off to a good start. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you could say the same thing about Buffalo, um, and we saw what happened there. Uh, and, and, you know, this is the NHL. We know, uh, you know, the perception of the type of team Chicago was supposed to be coming into the season. But uh, NHL players have a lot of pride, and they like proving people wrong. And I think uh, Chicago's done that uh, to start off the season. And we uh, we understand uh, that they're going to work really, really hard. They have some incredible skilled guys that have been Hall of Fame guys on that team. So um, you know, we expect a good team and a good test. Evander, my four minutes and fifteen seconds are up. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. That is Evander Kane, Edmonton Oilers 40s, our Oilers now headliner today for Wilhock Beef Jerky. It is the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. We head into the Oilers now injury report presented all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. It's just simple. They're the best. They've got unrivaled experience, unrivaled commitment, and unrivaled results. Trent Brown. Former Edmonton Eskimo All-Star Safety. Won a great cup with the then-named Eskimos. Watched a difficult 4-13 and season for the Edmonton Elks. And does the Golden Bear season come to an end? Another one of the teams that Trent played for that he loved. He wasn't the only one that loved that program. They are 2-4 and 
five after a two and one start, lost their starting quarterback, and they're at home this weekend to UBC. We'll see what transpires. The injury report, Dylan Holloway looks close to being a go tonight. Good chance he gets back in the lineup. Maybe the Oilers go 12-6. and six. Holloway and Ryan Murray were amongst the, the individuals that headed over to the United Center for a lightly attended optional. Uh, Murray stayed on the ice a fair amount of time. Chicago shut down as Tyler Johnson. He has an ankle injury. Peter Morazic, probably their number one goaltender, out with a groin problem. Alex Stalock, who had myocarditis during the pandemic, missed the entire 2021 season, is the starter for the Chicago Blackhawks. 113 in Edmonton to tell us the Chicago story when we return. Colby Cohen from the Blackhawks Television Network. This is Oilers Now. Bob Stauffer joining you from Chicago, Illinois. Tonight, the Edmonton Oilers 4-3 against the somewhat surprising 4-2 Chicago Blackhawks who apparently are committed to the rebuild. Just before we go to Colby Cohen, Randy from Brooks, Alberta has texted us to say, Bob, you do get it right once in a while. R&H is truly a catalyst for the team's success. I love that the scoring is being spread throughout the lineup, and some of the goals are coming from the dirty areas on the ice. The more the team wins close games right now, the better it keeps the focus on team defense. But what I said was Ryan Newton Hopkins was the barometer. But one thing that that's if you want an indication of how Edmonton's going to play, R&H is a good guy to read off because McDavid's going to bring it. You know that. He's raring to go every game. Drysaddle is going to be, you know, consistently productive. Hyman has a big time drivetrain. Evander Kane, little bit of a streaky scorer, but he's going to shoot the puck. But the emergence of Ryan McLeod at third line center has enabled RNH to be in a top six position. And so the Oilers have five legitimate top six forwards. They need one of Yamamoto or Pugliarvi to carve out a case for themselves in the future. Chicago's at a little bit different place, but they've had a good start. To talk about that, we welcome back to the show in the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline, an emerging broadcaster. He's with the Chicago Blackhawks broadcast analyst, Colby Cohen. Colby, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Bob. I appreciate you uh, having me on. I'm I'm very much looking forward to being down between the benches tonight and and really getting to see McDavid so up close and personal. I'm I'm very excited for that. I got to ask you this: How long have you known Frank Saravalli? Oh man, since we were probably seven or eight years old. So how does he look like fifty and you look twenty-five? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like to remind him of that all the time. And, and I think when I tell people that not only are we the same age, he might be a year or two older, but, you know, Frank was a good hockey player. We were hockey teammates and we were kids. His dad was our coach. And most people don't believe me when I tell them that. But as much as it'd be more fun to rip on him and give him a hard time about it, it is true. He, he was a good hockey player and, and we are the same age. Well, I, I, I can tell by how he thinks the game and, frankly, how he grinds that he could, he could process it. Like, that, that was clear to me. And, and, uh, and I knew years ago, years ago, like when he was in Philadelphia, before he ever went to TSN, I could tell that he was on the rise. So we love having him on the show on Tuesday. We appreciate your time today. Let's get to the Chicago story. Four and two start. Uh, have they played the right teams? Has it been goalies standing on the head? Because I see a, a shot differential of minus 7.5 per game, and that's not everything, but it's usually an indication that you're not going to consistently win when you do that. 
Yeah, I mean, Bob, I think when you look at where the shots are coming from, I think Luke Richardson realized what he had to work with from a from a roster standpoint, and he came to training camp day one with a with a lot of structure. It, it was the most structured training camp I've ever seen, and I took part in a couple years of training camps with Chloe Julian in Boston as a player, and they were structured. Well, Luke took it to a whole new level, you know, really north-south, really – uh, automatic options all over the ice, trying to take all the thinking away, uh, especially from the back end. And, look, the team collapses to the middle. They block a lot of shots. They play physical. And their details are good. I mean, we're definitely going to be a less skilled team, 99% of the team as we go out there. You know, but a lot of the chances we're giving up and a lot of the shots are our five-on-five shots from the perimeter and I think that's how the system is built to, to be. And they, they play a little bit of a zone defense. Um, and they'll, they'll let you hang out on the outside. And, and that's going to be a challenge tonight, especially with uh, guys like McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane's ability to go get inside the dots. Um, but, but so far, especially the Florida game, I mean, they, they really did. They played well. They played hard. They kept it simple. They took advantage of special teams. But, but really, five on five, they haven't given up tons and tons of quality chances. I just remember Rob Dom is a friend of mine. He's coaching over now in Austria. Uh, but we were talking about zone versus man on man defense. And he said, Bob, do you know why the NBA outlawed zone defense? And I said, yeah, because it works. <laughs> so exactly. I've always, I've been a proponent of zone in hockey. And I know some, you know, some coaches don't like that it, you know, it, it, you can sort of, get inside that zone if possible and create opportunities uh housekeeping can you come back in about two hours thank you uh but anyhow (laughs) just that's the beauty of doing a live show colby all right so so just before just we get before we get to the here and now with the hawks i gotta ask you our listeners know i'm a i'm i'm a believer in kirby docs yeah i i I fundamentally understood the both hands with Tampa Bay. I got what, you know, they got They got a couple number ones out of that deal to the Hawks, and Tampa Bay got Chicago to send back a couple fours, and there were a couple prospects included. I thought that was a good deal. It made sense. I even understood that the brink of trade because of where the Hawks were going to have to pay him in the future. Can you come back, please? Thank you. Later. It's okay. It's okay. All right. So, uh, but the one that confused me was the dock trade. 21 years of age, I did not understand that trade at all. Uh, can you explain that from a Chicago perspective? Yeah, and you and I have, have talked about Kirby at length. We talked about him last season in Edmonton. I, I do know you like him. I'm with you. I like him, too. I think he's got a lot of skill. Um, I think he's got a high ceiling. But I, I really think this was about looking at the player and the asset, looking at sort of his progression and then feeling like maybe he needed a fresh start and not just him, but maybe the Blackhawks thinking, you know, the relationship, I don't want to say the relationship soured because I don't think there was ever any like horrible moments, but it almost felt like um, both teams were thinking, you know what? I think it's best for us to let him go somewhere else and try to flourish because we don't think it's going to happen here. And they looked at the draft. They looked at some forwards that they had targeted. Um, you know, they turned the Kirby doc trade into Frank Nazar, uh, you know, from the U S underdeveloped, you know, the U S development team who's at Michigan. 
uh, this season. But I really do think it was more them feeling like they didn't necessarily do the right thing with him and feeling like maybe that ship had sailed and they wanted to just recoup what they could recoup for the asset and give the player another opportunity to go elsewhere. Um, you know, that's how it's been explained to me. I think that, um, uh, you know, I think everybody here kind of wishes Kirby the best, but I just don't think that they looked at him and felt like this is the guy who, when, you know, we're through this rebuild, he's going to be the guy that we're leaning on. I think they were concerned with his development through our rebuild because the reality is, Bob, we're the 10th oldest team in the NHL right now. This is an organizational rebuild, not just an NHL rebuild. And right now, a lot of this rebuild is taking place more in, in the, the prospect rankings and less at the NHL level um, because of the contract situation here and the fact that in two years, there's no players that are currently with the team now at forward that are even going to be under contract. So I think it was a combination of all those things. And like I said, I root for Kirby. I'd like to see him score, you know, 50 goals in, at some point in Montreal, and we'll definitely be following him. Well, um, you know, I, I, I made a wager with somebody that he'd be at least a 50-point player at some time in the next two or three seasons in his career. We'll see if that comes to fruition ultimately in Montreal. Kobe, you mentioned the age of the Hawks. Where is it at from your perspective with Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane? Is there any scenario where those two players at some point this season, and Chicago's in a very advantageous cap position, but is there any scenario where they're still on the team after the NHL trade deadline, or is it a matter of when and not if they will be traded? So I I would say uh, I do think there's a chance that they're here after the trade deadline, and the reason being is that the players have all the, the leverage here. Both of these players have full no-movement clauses. And, you know, you're talking about guys who have been playing here for 15-plus years. Um, they might not want to move at the deadline. They might want to finish the season out, regroup. You know, Patrick Kane has a, has a two-year-old little boy. His family is always here in Chicago. You know, he, he feels like this is his home. And when push comes to shove, like, I, I would have a hard time handicapping or betting if either of those guys are going to go because the history and the fact that they're going to be free agents this summer, they might just want to wait and test the free agent pool in the summer. Both players have earned the right to decide where, when and where they go. And, you know, furthermore, I think one thing that I think we've all been really happy to see and pleasantly surprised with is the play of Jonathan Taves. You know, we all know Patrick Kane is still showtime. I mean, he, he's yeah. got a couple of points on the year. It's only a matter of time. I mean, Kaner's going to score goals and points, but seeing the way Jonathan Taves has played has been really enjoyable to watch. I mean, he's got that compete level back. You know, he, his, his conditioning is back. His strength and his size, the way he's using that, that big butt of his and that big frame of his to protect pucks. You know, he's been setting goals up. He's looked good on the second power play. He's winning his face-offs. Um, you know, he, he's been, compared to what we saw last year, I mean, he, he's played really well for the Chicago Blackhawks. He, he, he's, he's got a good demeanor on the bench, on between the benches, right? So I see all the little ins and outs of the way players are 
communicating with each other, talking to the coaches. I think him and Luke Richardson have gotten off to a really good start with their relationship and the trust between the two. So, so Bob, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not have a good feel for it because I truly believe neither player has a plan right now, and they are both just really living this sort of day-by-day day and in the moment. And I think everybody's excited right now because we're 4-2, and two. Um, and the team is playing well. Now, over 82, Bob, I, I have a hard time uh, seeing it potentially keep up at this rate. But, you know, we'll see, obviously. So, so I, I really do think that it's probably 50-50 whether these guys are here through the season or whether they go sometime before the deadline. Well, the Hawks, just so the listeners know, have uh, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and two third-round picks in each of the next two draft years. Uh, Kane, uh, I believe, would garner a a first-round pick, an A-grade prospect, a, a current contracted player. I don't know if Taze, and this is with the Hawks eating money, I don't know if Taze would get you a first-round pick. I think that he'd probably get you a couple number twos. But they also have Domi and Athanasiu, who were signed to one-year deals, which the moment they were signed to those one-year deals, everybody thought, geez, those might be guys you might be able to get, you know, a, a second or third for. Uh, how have uh, Max, Domi, and Athanasiu uh, performed so far for Chicago? Yeah, so they've really, in the last couple of games, you're starting to see a little bit of chemistry between Kane, Domi, and Athanasiu, and I think they're all, you know, very different types of players. Kane likes to slow things down. Athanasiu only plays in sixth gear. Sometimes maybe it would help him to slow things down a little bit because he finds himself sort of running maybe out of space at times because of his speed. So. I think that line is finally starting to click. I'll be really interested to see tonight how they do against, you know, probably uh, seeing Darnell Nurse a, a lot, I would assume. Um, you know, and uh, I think Max Domi is, is, again, finding his way, new team. Um, preseason was a little bit slow. He got an overtime winner the other night, which started to kick him up into, into gear. And, you know, same with Athens to see you, but – you know, ultimately, uh, that line's got to get going because our a lot of our offense is coming from our special teams and our third line with, with Sam Lafferty, Jason Dickinson, uh, and Phil Kurashev. I mean, they've been probably our most consistent line. Um, Sam Lafferty, Kurashev, have, have, and Dickinson, they, they've been fun to watch. I think you'll appreciate the way those guys play tonight when you watch the game, Bob. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's a good point by you. I do think those guys will be flipped at some point. Um, I think that's exactly why they were brought in here. And, again, it, it'll be uh, kind of an interesting year for this team in the, in the way that they're transitioning. And, and you know, but, but it is also weird to go through a rebuild when you're the 10th oldest team in the league. So, you know, Kyle's going to have to continue to move guys out, continue to – I love what you said about Kane, not to ju- jump back to that, but I'd love to see the Hawks get some – some prospects instead of draft picks. I'd love to see them go and get guys that have proven it in the American League for a year or they're, you know, cleaning up the major junior level or the or the college level, you know, rather than these guys who are 18-year-old draft picks and are still four or five years away. I'd love to see a 19- or 20-year-old prospect really be a part of one of these deals. Colby, we got to run. Thanks for your time. Much appreciated. We'll see you tonight. All right, have a good rest of your show. I'll come find you this evening. All right, there you go. That's Colby Cohn, Chicago Blackhawks broadcaster. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell.